You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. Hey, Tracy, it's 2022. It's a new year and I'm a little, I'm a little leery of a new year. Do you think that we could potentially get like a certified pre-owned year? You know what? I, I, I think that would be really an interesting concept. Like we would know it has been carefully vetted and reviewed. There'd be like a 72 point inspection plan or something like we've checked it for fascism. You know, we've checked it for wild global changes in pandemic conditions. We've checked it for whether or not awkward holiday gatherings are going to be more or less prominent. I'm liking it. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. Certified pre-owned. So- <laughs> I like the idea of talking about certified pre-owned years, too, when we're talking actually today to a historical fantasy writer. So we've got, yeah, look at that. That is a professional grade transition right there. And I know you're proud of me. I know the listenership is proud of me. Everyone's proud of me. We're going to start the year big. (laughs) So we're talking today with Nicole Glover, who is the author of the Murder and Magic series, which if it sounds new to you, it should sound new to you because both of the first books in the series came out in 2021. So Nicole is one busy lady. Nicole, how are you doing? I am doing great. It's a little chilly right here in, in Norfolk right now. We have a little cold snap, but otherwise, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, otherwise, you know, it's going, you know, it's going great. It's been a world one of a year, like uh, both back book back back to back being like being like mm-hmm. that. But fun, exciting, all that's all that great stuff. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, I've been, you've been, I mean, between your two novels, your essay on tour.com, you've just, I mean, it's just been a big breakout year for you. And you've got some amazing blurbs from folks who are friends of the pod. We've got uh, P. Jelly Clark, and we've got Maurice Broadus, and a lot of other people giving you some ups, which is super exciting. So, okay, taking a breath here, catch the listeners up a bit about the Murder and Magic series. Let's get them in on it the way that the way that we want them to be in on it. Okay. The Murder and Magic series is basically the conductors and the undertakers, both books which follows former underground railroad conductors, Hetty and Benji Rhodes, a married couple who in the past were underground railroad conductors, who decided in the years following the Civil War to use their talents to be best served solving mysteries in and around Philadelphia. This is also a world with magic, so they're using all their talents, including magic, to solve these murder mysteries and fun stuff. And the first book starts with a murder that close, hits close to home with a death, a sudden death of a close friend, in which Dolph dives right into the community and other all the interesting relationships that comes with it. So I am really interested in, like, we mentioned the historical fiction thing a little yes. bit ago, and I'm really interested in, like... As a historical fiction fantasy writer, like the way the specificity of time is important, because this isn't just post, this isn't just like Reconstruction era, United States, post-slavery. This is very specifically 1871 in Philadelphia. So why 1871? Why Philadelphia? Like, how does this stuff come together for you in a way that's useful and exciting? Well, yeah, a lot of, yeah, it's, I'm always re- like being re- really precise about where I set things because, you know, particularly with the historical stuff, you want to know what's going on in case you're impacting other major events because I don't want to write something and find out, oh, there's a hurricane, there is major fire and all this, all these riots and stuff because you have to bring all this in context. And, you know, I, I settled, it's how I settled on date, date, times and places is kind of just came together. Philadelphia popped up in all of my research. It was a major hub for black for Black Americans at this time period because it's a they have a long deep history of it in that particular community that's been dating back since revolutionary days, 
And so Philadelphia felt a good place to place things. As for 1871, that came because I wanted to do several years into the so in the Reconstruction era. I wanted to be, I didn't want the immediate post Civil War activity because that's it has a it's more like chaos as right after the Civil War. But I wanted to have kind of settled in the Reconstruction era, kind of in the golden era of the Reconstruction era, because it, there is very because the Reconstruction era kind of petered, went out in a bad way. But there was several years in the in the beginning that was you know fairly decent. And it also 1871, so it's right after the last of the Civil War amendments, you know, as they call them, 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment had passed. It's only been a few months, it's only been been barely a year since the 15th Amendments had passed. So all the, that basically the voting rights stuff has gone in effect. So I had all that, basically, it's all things kind of set for, and this is the good, this is a, I guess it's a good time, I guess, for Black history at this point. Yeah. And so it just felt like a really good, a good place to set things, and and also looking forward to what happens later on in Philadelphia. I saw good things I could probably tackle later on in the future and in future books too. And so this, it felt like a good place to put things and at least a good place to start, so, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you describe it as a good time for Black Americans. And I think another way of thinking of it for mm. me that links to the fantasy piece is mm. it's a sort of a transformational time like yes their their experience of their world and their place in society is rapidly changing and evolving and now that there there are there are alterations to the governance of their very mm. country that is asking people to change the way that they are allowed to participate the way they're allowed mm. to exist and like that transformational quality of it, I think, puts it in a great place to also work in the way that you can transform the world by giving your characters a world of magic and a world where they, mm. they have agency through their magic. Yeah, that's what that's probably the thing with about having the magic that fancy element was kind of play with. For me, it allows me to have some freedom to just make them more active in certain parts of the stories, make them do things. And not, I mean, it's not just the magic fights that, you know, happen in the book yeah. or all those other things. It is, it gives you, the magic itself works as the theme to allow me some freedom to play around with certain details in the book. Even though a lot of, even though I try to keep it grounded of, certain, of what they do and whatnot, but still, I also wanted to kind of highlight what's this kind of day-to-day lives of people at that time period. Because I think when we look at history, we look at, you know, the, the deaths, we're looking at battles, we're looking at these key patches of legislation acts and all this other stuff. You forget about people who are living day-to-day lives. And I guess I wanted to highlight that and just and all those things come together. And as for a transformation mm-hmm. part, I think a big thing that came with working these four books is like figure out what people do, what people do next. They, they're yeah. coming from where they had, they had thought their lives to be this one way and now things have happened and now they have the ability to change that. And mm-hmm. that's, I guess that's one that, I guess it's, I mean, it's probably cause it's a close thing that fits close to home to me now. So that's probably as soon as things seeps into the, my writing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm really interested too in the decision to make the central protagonists of your series, a married couple. Cause it seems like there's like a Renaissance of married couples as co as co mm. I, I swear I can speak co-protagonists that's kind of going on now yeah. in genre fiction. And I dig it. And I'm sort of wondering, yeah. like, I think everybody comes to that decision as a writer mm. for a different reason, but why for you where you're like, no, 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 these Hetty and Benji are going mm. to be in this together. Yeah, I, I love a good uh, duo that's partners in crime. They're like taking on the world together and it's, it makes a lot of fun. I like, I mean, I guess I always love a ro- good romance, but I always like to see the part when they get together at the end because you go through all the stuff and these stories about them getting together and the best part is when they are together and you get to play all those dynamics and also adds a different level of tension of like mm-hmm. what keeps them together, 
what petty differences that might drive them apart, what's what happens when, you know, they have to pair up together and go against the world. And, you know, what's what kind of what magic figuratively and literally happens when they come together. And both the characters for Hedy and Benji, they were they came to my to my together as a pair. I start my very gem of the I seed of an idea started with them together. So I always mm-hmm. knew they were going to be together. And I felt like why should I go through the whole traditional route of, you know, Go, learning to fall in love and all this other stuff where the best part for me was playing off together and that was a, that was actually the greatest part of writing the second book undertakers where i fully had them basically being together because i guess spoilers the first with the conductors is kind of they play the marriage convenience they get together uh because it's easier for them to solve mystery together it's easier to make sense they're really good friends good partners and stuff so they got married Mm-hmm. And that changes with all the events in the first book. And the second book is like they're this is this fully engaged in this marriage as just as marriage as people typically think view that as a still as well as keeping their good friendship and partnership. So the second book, Undertakers, I gotta have so much fun playing with the dynamic of this them like, you know, either working together, hanging out, teasing each other, you know, having little spats, but still going off doing being having a lot of fun, like a lot of cute moments and stuff. And so I, I think that what appeals to me is that I get to the good parts instead of like yeah. waiting, drawing it out. I get to the good parts. I like writing good parts that off the readers like to read. And so, and, and it's a lot of fun. It's sort of like, there's something anticlimactic, I think, about mm-hmm. um, thinking that you're into romance or thinking that you're into relationship stories. But then as soon as the relationship is intact, you're like, no, I'm cool. I'm on a dip now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't need to know the rest. Like, I was I was only there for the chase. And like yeah. the idea, like, no, 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 no. The chase isn't what it's about. Mm-hmm. Like, the chase is about who these people are. Yes. It's about getting us to who they are when they're together. Or in this case, like, not so much the chase, but like that really delicious kind of... Um, like AO3 level, like yes, fine. There is only one bed. There is only like we're gonna kind of we're gonna get together because it's what we have to do. Oh wait, no, I think I might like you. <laughs> might be a thing that's actually yes. happening. Mm. So okay, AO3 reference um, taken for granted there yes. for a sec. Like what's what's inspiring you? You know, for these characters, I'm having the best time scrolling through your website, looking at this like gorgeously realized art of, yeah. of all your, your central cast and, and how fun they are. Yeah, Where are I these guess. people coming from? I actually have no idea. I mean, parts of it, I would say it's you know, with any character is always parts of you coming out as a writer, like certain little aspects here and there, like a main character, Hetty, my main central viewpoint character. She's lots of things. She's the storyteller. She likes to, you know, Tell, listen to people tell stories, make up her own, add variations and tweaks about things. She's interested in all, I guess, the folklore and folktale people she hears about. She's also, you know, very outspoken, more like very blunt or not, uh, not willing to like, you know, she'll be nice on occasion, but not always to people. And that's part, that's part of me right there. Like, even though I'm quiet and stuff, and there's sometimes it's just me wanting to say more things. And then Hattie doesn't have that hesitation pulling back. Um, I guess Benji, for example, he's like very like interested in puzzles, very scientifically mind. He likes he's became a blacksmith because he likes to tinker and things. He's a big book reader, and those little elements are you know all of what me and stuff like that. And a lot of a lot of characters are like that. And that's for being inspired by it. Just just certain. I just look at certain dynamics and stuff. Like a lot of supporting cast that I built around Hetty and Benji were people I thought were good foils that 
would make some playoffs a really good dynamics. Like a lot of their core friend group, for example, we have like Oliver, who's like their main go-to person because he's an embalmer and stuff. And he's the one that helps them yeah. with the bodies. And, you know, he's very fussy. He complains about, you know, helping the bodies, like why you're bringing this to my house to look at. But he'll, you know, he'll complain and grumble, but help him out anyway because he, at the end of the day, he has a good heart underneath all that rough exter- exterior. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of Hetty's closest friends, like Penelope, who's like a potion maker and the skill and skills in the way that Hetty is not with potions. She's bubbly. She's into music. She's she's more a bit more high strong about certain things. But at the end of the day, we'll we'll be there to help Hetty investigate th- different things like. And a lot of the supporting cast is like that. I think one particular one fun dynamic was that one of her friends has is married. To a guy that's very more practical, more grumpier about things, less likely to use magic on occasion. And it's really funny because he and he and Betty just bump, bump heads all the time about certain things. So she's particularly she's particularly like, I don't really like you, but I'll be I'm friends with you because you're married to my best friend and mm-hmm. we'll go go along with there. And so a lot of <laughs> a lot of a lot of that's kind of built in there. And some other supporting cats is kind of drawn from like historical figures of the, mm-hmm. of the, the time period that were inspired by like whether like they're teachers, activists, poets, sculptors, and stuff like that. One secondary character as the Undertakers was uh, definitely inspired by and Mo- Mona Lewis, who was a sculptor at the time. And trying to, I wasn't trying to get. I actually was a cut character. I was trying to get in the first book, but it didn't have space. So I was like, I found a way to get her in the second book. And a lot of some characters are like that, even though they're not drawn from the history they're like inspired by certain things and so that's a lot, a lot of things things i like i find interesting i kind of find my way they find a slip into the books you mentioned one of them being like a body person i i myself find it's really difficult to find a good body person these days <laughs> like where am i gonna take this this thing now mm-hmm. that i've now that I've created this problem for myself, yeah, it, it can be. It's probably really difficult. You know, you have to find. Yeah. You find something. You got to find something you trust, and you... <laughs> you need a pickup truck and a shovel and all that mm. sort of stuff. Yeah, yes. yeah. Who's gonna? Who's got a barrel big enough in their basement? It's mm. a whole thing. I like to describe um, Hetty's <laughs> friend as like it's on the scale of how willing they're helping them help help them bury a body, basically. Oh, okay. And yeah. That's yeah. how I kind of define their friend circle. Like how yeah. likely they're going to come in, like say they, they call and say, I need to help with this body. Can you help me? And their yeah. range of how close they are to this friends, how, how likely they're going to help yeah. with that. Least yeah. helpful is would suggest a good hardware store to buy shovel. Most yeah. helpful is, you know. <laughs> we'll go out the woods with you and dig. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, 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 that's a, you always have a good scale with, it's, it's, you have all these charts when you're writing books and that's a good scale for me. How like you're going to help somebody bury your body. There you go. I mean, that's you could measure a lot of things in human interactions that way. Maybe not out loud, but not all of us are Patrick and have his (laughs) fundamental (laughs) courage of character and also certainty that no one in law enforcement is listening. Um, I've been been quiet too long, so I had to contribute. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, I had to contribute some sort of dad joke. You know, I I actually I I wrote a story set in 1871 Philadelphia that was far less successful than this one. (laughs) But... (laughs) The thing that fascinated me at the time was I didn't realize Doc Holliday was there in 1871 in Philadelphia. He was studying to be a dentist, and that just kind of triggered something in my brain. I ended up writing a little Western thing about him. Is uh, that where the Doc piece of Doc Holliday comes from? Uh, yeah, he was a dentist. Okay. Huh. <clears throat> okay. And what I, basically what I did in the story was I explained that his tuberculosis was actually that he had been like bitten by a vampire kind of thing. Okay. And that's where the tuberculosis came from. Seems legit. That's like uh, I yeah. said, I far think... less successful story set in 1871 Philadelphia. <laughs> but hey, it's a nice little connection. 
Yeah, well, we can't all be Nicole Glover here. No, we so, can't. No. Uh, now, on the subject of we can't all be Nicole Glover, because um, that that is a subject now. I said yeah. it is one, so it's it's official. Um, so I I feel the need to bring this up because in your in your bio it mentions that you are a great lover of obscure trivia, fun facts, and miscellaneous knowledge. Yeah. Um, and one of my nicknames in college was literally the Tabernacle of Useless Knowledge, um, <laughs> which you have to turn your head sideways to view that as a compliment. But I'm gonna do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's how I choose to believe that that was intended. So I feel like we need to have like a like a sort of like trivia trade here of some kind where like I name my favorite rando fact or one of my favorite rando facts and then you name a favorite rando fact and all sorts of stuff um and just see where it takes you are you feeling up for this? Do we can sort of I'm, there's I'm, nothing quite like somebody saying, "Tell me your favorite X off the top of your yeah, head." Just suddenly, always, like the brain cache just clears, and you're like, "I know nothing. I have no favorites. I have never <laughs> known yes. or been exposed to the thing that you were describing." Oh, so let's give it a try. Then I might, I might be able to pull out some stuff. We'll see. We'll see. All right. So let's see. I'll start since I'm the one throwing down this gauntlet here. It only seems fair. Like I got to mm-hmm. warm things up and be right there where my mouth is. Mm-hmm. So all right. So favorite piece of of trivia um that i have is uh has to do with um what's going on with people's toes relative to what it says about their genetic ancestry so i guess if you're like eddie murphy foot fetish sort of thing then then this can be your thing um but so if you are the sort of person who if you if you look at your toes you realize that your second toe uh like i guess the equivalent of your index finger toe if that's a thing um it's not a thing um is the same length or longer than the big toe that is strongly correlated although not a definite indicator of um first nations ancestry because it tends to be a a marker along genetic lines of of a, of a sort of recessive trait that occurs uh in those family groups so Fun fact, as far as that goes, check out your toes. Um, don't be all Elizabeth Warren about it um, or go applying for any scholarships or something like that. But, you know, it might make sandal season a little more interesting for you. And I want to tell, say for the benefit of the listeners that while Tracy was explaining that, she did lean back and lean down to look at her own toes. Yeah, I did. I have socks and slippers on, so it really didn't achieve anything. But you need to, yeah, the listeners do need to know that I'm fully committed to the bit. Yes. Yes. Now, uh, if anybody had any doubts as to why I asked Tracy 18 months ago to be the co-host of the Functional Nerds podcast, you just got a dose of the extra special nerdy that is Tracy. (laughs) Right there. Right there. Yeah. All right. So surely you've got something better than my dumb toe fact. I don't know. I mean, let's let me pull out. Um. I know a lot of stuff since I'm doing research again. One of the things I popped up was, um, I guess one thing I found interesting, I'm not sure how obscure it is at the moment, but I did find out recently that um, with all the prohibitions, during prohibition time and stuff like that, that people had all kinds of means, you know, bootleg certain things. Mm-hmm. My favorite thing I found out, I was doing a little bit more deep dive, was that people used planes and stuff to bootleg information, uh, alcohol and stuff. Like, oh, you know, this, well, I guess yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. 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 People, you know, because the, you know, the pilot that you no know, planes were getting more popular at this time period, you know, yeah. rich, mostly rich people and coming more, but more affordable. And, you know, some people were, you know, they're sticking their, their bottles in the airplanes because, you know, they, they had, people had air shows 
and stuff mm-hmm. and then the races and you know all these different things so they suck them in there and i you thought got that somebody was... with a crop duster and what are they going to use it for off season yeah, yeah. and it makes sense too. I mean, also between like you know, going from like Canada, Mexico, the Caribbean, and stuff as well, it makes it easier. So that, that was fascinating. It's one thing I never really thought about that too. And I think it's yeah, I, yeah. It, it, I thought that was I thought was kind of cool. Like the thing is, because there's so much little. It makes sense once I thoroughly thought about it, and I thought that was, it was kind of cool. The other thing that's super cool about that fact is, I think we think we see prohibition in our mind and like mm-hmm. immediately like everything turns into like the, the calliope music in the background and yeah. the silent theater and mm-hmm. like things get, you know, the, our, our vision turns black and white and we're like, Oh yes, that was in the long ago times. But That's thinking cool. that like bootlegging was actually supported to some degree by air travel reminds mm-hmm. us that it's like actually a pretty modern thing like it wasn't yeah. all that long ago that people were like no 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 rum for you no <laughs> gin for you i mean oh, yeah and they still and some people still have those rules i think when when they got repealed there are still some light rules mostly in the south the bible yeah Belt. dry counties mm-hmm. yeah all that stuff mm-hmm. so it wasn't like it's and it was also really fascinating to looking at the history of prohibition because i once looked at a story that's trying to say like what he did in the prohibition in the past like how is that possible? Then I went to this deep dive, all this history of those anti-saloon leagues and temperance stuff and how much it's really about racism and classism too. So yeah. like, oh, there's so many things you can't really say this didn't happen because all the other stuff happened beforehand. So I've always found it interesting that dry counties and drive through liquor stores came from the same place. Oh yeah. That I'm is, not, not... that is interesting. Yep. Welcome to the South. <laughs> <laughs> or that it wasn't illegal to own a bunch of liquor before before prohibition went in effect. Like if you had a bunch of stores before, like whatever prohibition went in effect, it still was legal. You can drink it in your house. You just couldn't buy it. So huh. I remember going to Paducah uh, for a funeral with mom, and one of the cousins saying they're going to the liquor store. Do anybody want anything? And I said, you know, at the time I was drinking pop and soda, and I was like, oh yeah, get me get me like some Pepsi or something. And they're like, it's a liquor store. You can't buy Pepsi at a liquor store. Well, in California, you could. In California, where I grew up, liquor stores not only had alcohol, they had chips, snacks, candy yeah, bars. Party store. It was, it was almost like a convenience store. They also had soda and, all, and water and all kinds of stuff. But not in the South. It was, it was like, it's just liquor. It's just alcohol. Nothing else is in there. No kids allowed kind of place. It was a trip. It was a completely different culture. Huh. I see that that seems to me like a serious missed opportunity there. (laughs) I think it's changed now. Yeah. Um, But it was just, it was interesting then. And then that's also when I found out about, you know, drive through liquor stores in the Piggly Wiggly. (laughs) (laughs) Just visualizing, man. Uh, So on the, on the theme of not trying to, not trying to miss an opportunity there, we get time for picks of the week, I think. Fit that in. Yeah, I think so. Let's do it. You want some music? Of course I do. Picks of the week. Patrick, do you want to show Nicole how it's done? Sure. We This is the first recording of 2022, and I'm going to go back to something that was very popular at the end of 2021, which is Hawkeye on Disney+. Plus. I think everybody enjoyed Hawkeye, as I have not, I have not made it uh, I'm not hidden the fact that Jeremy Renner is not my favorite actor by any shape or means. I think he's the kind of actor that Hollywood just pushes on you and says, this is going to be a good actor mm-hmm. here. Look at him. 
Isn't he great? <laughs> Watches movies, give us money. And I just don't think he has any anything. Like I, he's just not my favorite character. And uh, but I think he did really well in this show, and mostly due to the little girl that's in it with him, uh, who I because I don't know new music and pop culture and like I had no clue who she was uh similar to murders in the only murders in the building I had no clue who Selena Gomez was so uh Haley I'm gonna mess up the last name Stanfield Stanfield something like that I guess she's been in all the Pitch Perfect movies and Mm -hmm. she's got like a, a pop music career uh she made that show for me like just her reactions to everything her interactions with uh, Hawkeye. I, I just thought that that show was really, really well done and it amused the hell out of me. And so I, I think it's one of the best ones they've done so far. To be honest with that's you. a good, that's a, that's a good pitch considering that you mm-hmm. came into it as a reluctant. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 All right. Nicole, how about you? What's your pick of the week? Yeah. Uh, my pick was the new, uh, new Disney animated film Enchanto. Chanto, Chanto, Encanto, I think. Encanto, Encanto. Yeah. I, I'm bad at pronouncing things. Yeah, it's the the magical house movie. Set in, I think set in the fantastical Colombia, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it was delightful. I think I only saw the the initial teaser trailer, so I went in I went in not knowing much about it, and I was just delighted all around. I felt like it's the most impressed I'd been with Disney animation in a long time. In a long time, usually I just admired like the the scenery of certain things, set pieces. But I was actually yeah. amazed at like, how they had people move and movements that felt really human-like, I guess. And a lot of times I see a lot of Disney movies, and, like Disney animated films of like, I wish this was still in the old 2D style. I'm like, why are they moving the computer animation? Yeah. This is the first time in, in the, that I was like, oh, this works really well. I couldn't I couldn't think being in 2D would be better and stuff. And you know, this, this, this song, there are these really, two really good songs I'm still been humming around and stuff. So I was like, this delightful surprise, I just kind of just opened it up and like, oh, this looks, it feels pretty, this is nice. So. Fantastic. Yeah. So I think it's, this is about to be a clean sweep for, for the mouse of mouse uh, <laughs> now with the recommendation. So apologies to listeners who don't like that, but uh, we don't coordinate these things in advance. We honestly don't. Um, so it's, pretty much a meme for the functional nerd verse here that I'm bad at TV, like bad with capital letters, bad. And by that, I mean, like, I don't watch anywhere near as much of it as most people, which is not virtue signaling on my part. I really like TV. I like TV so much. Mm -hmm. I just don't put an effort towards watching the things I want to watch and I want to watch everything. And as a result, I therefore watch kind of nothing. Um, So long story short, because Book of Boba Fett is starting to come out and uh, my 10-year-old daughter, Deirdre, became a Star Wars geek last year uh, as a result of seeing The Mandalorian, and that was her entry point into all things Star Wars. Um, And not entirely. She watched the original trilogy and then Mandalorian, but nevertheless. Um, We knew Book of Boba Fett was coming out, and so we wanted to make sure that we saved television time as a family to watch that with the kids, but... We also had a bunch of stuff my husband and I wanted to watch that we were pretty sure we didn't want to watch um, with the kids. And so uh, we finally went back and we we did Loki. Um, And I really loved Loki. Now, this is a reference not everybody's going to get, but I feel sort of like Loki is what happens when the writer's room watches several good seasons of the X-Files in a row on a binge watch and then plays 50 hours of the PlayStation video game Control And then it's like, cool, now we're going to go write Loki. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because it had very much this like 
early 70s weird um, police procedural aesthetic meets a little bit of Twin Peaks um, with a lot of Stranger Things sort of cooking around in there. And I love my son to death. Uh, He's 14. He's a pretty good literary critic, but he did say the dumbest thing I've ever heard him say as a critic of literary stuff once he watched Loki, which was that he liked it, but he didn't think that there was any particular reason that the central character had to be Loki, that anybody could have gone through that particular narrative and it would have been exactly the same. You're wrong, Corwin. You're damn wrong. (laughs) Mama loves you and you're so embarrassingly wrong. So like it had to be Loki because he's intrinsically dishonest and and mercurial and um, sort of it's in his bone structure that he doesn't know how to trust or even be trusted or what to do with that as a dynamic. So encountering variants, encountering all these sorts of situations where he has to really kind of come to grips with the essence of himself in different ways is totally central to what we end up seeing unfold in the story. So damn, son, you're just wrong. Um, and and it's the specific way in which he was wrong that makes the, the series so fun. So I really enjoyed Loki. Loki was a great show. I enjoyed yeah. Loki. Yeah. And I'm, just, I'm really hesitant about time travel stuff. I'm hearing good things about it, but I'm just weird about time, time wobbly things. It's not exactly time travel. I mean, there yeah. are definitely moments where time is referenced, but it is okay. more... Um, universe variant travel okay um which i know probably sounds like splitting hairs but it really doesn't come down to time it's it's more about in my opinion and i don't i don't think this is spoilery and if it is i apologize but i think it's more about starting to introduce the concept to the the audience that have seen the movies and the shows and, and have never read the books of the multiverse Oh, that there's more out there than yeah than than the, than the movies exactly yeah, because I mean, that's, that's a big thing in in the comics right it, 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 they use the multiverse both at Marvel and DC to mm-hmm. explain different versions of the the characters that we've seen yeah or, different you know, different reboots that aren't really reboots and yeah. that sort of allow them to explore multiple angles of storylines and yep. not be internally um, contradictory yeah. <laughs> That's what that. That's what Crisis was all about over at DC. At one point, was we've got so many different versions of Superman and Batman and all these different characters, and we've explained it as a multiverse. Now we're going to bring it all together into one coherent <laughs> storyline in the universe, uh, and then we're going to do it like twelve more times. But yeah, so so I think it's just more about trying to bring in this this concept to to the people who have seen all the movies and stuff that, that there yeah. is the, you know, the reason that there are X-Men over here and <laughs> Avengers over here is because there, there is this multiverse thing. And if you, if you trust us and you stick with us, we're going to explain some stuff and make some cool things moving forward. Yeah. All right. So, whew. so time for us to plug back into the multiverse of books over here. So if, <laughs> you, if you've been, titillated and interested by what's going on in Nicole Glover's world of uh, murder and magic and mystery, you need to check out her work, which means that you need to know where to find her on these here interwebs. Nicole, where can people find you and find your books? Yeah, you can find information about me and my books on my up on my websites. It's Nicole-Glover.com. Yeah, you'll 
all this information, all the links are up on there for the books and stuff. And I'm occasionally you might be able to find me out on Twitter. <laughs> Sometimes I'm, I'm, a little, I'm not sure if it's a hey, it's not really a hiatus. I'm on most more. I logged out on my, on my account and I forgot. <laughs> I'm too lazy to reset everything. But my Twitter <laughs> handle, <laughs> I know it's yeah, it's a it's a thing. I mean, I just reset everything because I forget them. Mm-hmm. And so, but anyway, my Twitter handle is it's basically my my last name, but instead of the B, it's a W instead. So it's Nicole Glower on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, that's where you can find me. And eventually, we'll reset my stuff to log back in and be more interactive. <laughs> it's just it's just the struggle is real with all this all different email accounts and everything. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was just gonna say we have a lot of we have a lot of listeners who are IT people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know of at least one who's a security specialist, and they all have recommended in the past that you just keep post its underneath your keyboard with your passwords, oh, yeah, your yeah. Pins, yeah, all that kind of stuff on there. For sure. Yeah, yeah it's so secure. Uh, it is helpful. so secure. Yes, yes. It They're is. all screaming at you now. That sound, <laughs> that ripple of, of power moving through the force, <laughs> is all of them just yeah. losing their shit at you, Patrick. In all seriousness, I, I use Vault at this point, mm. so mm. I have a password Vault, and I log into the Vault, and it it does. I hate two factor authorization. I really, really do. Mm. But it seems like everything is going to that now. Yeah. And so basically when I want to use something in the vault, it sends me a text. I put the numbers in and it says, okay. And then it logs me into whatever I need to log into. So mm-hmm. that's one yeah. way to do it. Yeah. You gotta, if they, if they offer that two factor though, you gotta, you gotta take advantage of it. I didn't have two factor authentication on my Facebook account uh, mm. about a year ago. And my reward for not having activated two factor was someone got into my Facebook account, mm. activated two factor <laughs> and linked it to a device I didn't own. Yeah. So there was no way for me to log back into, because every time it would request verification, whatever cell phone or computer mm. or whatever they had linked to it was getting the request. Yeah. Um, so that took me like a solid three weeks to end up getting my Facebook back. So <laughs> It's a thing. Mm. All right, folks. Well, keep an eye out for Nicole Glover's works uh, for her at Nicole-Glover.com. And uh, for, uh, did I hear you say there's going to be four books in this here series? I can't say anything officially, but. Oh, okay. You didn't hear a number. But you did hear a plurality. So yeah. if you're into series and you're looking for a new series to start where your your author isn't going to leave you hanging for, for future books, you've got two whole books getting you started here and some plurality of future texts awaiting you. Yeah, that's, that's fair to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for bringing me in. Happy New Year. And that means... It's time for a new bumper. I've got a couple of extra things for you before we close out the episode. First, Tracy and I will be at Capricorn 42, February 3rd through the 6th in Chicago. Capricorn 42 will be held in person at the Sheraton Grand Chicago Hotel. We're talking about doing some sort of hangout. And as soon as we get that locked down, I'll let you know they've... Not locked in the schedule yet, uh, but I think they're getting really close. So we'll let you know as soon as we do. For more information about Capricorn 42, please visit capricorn.org. In the meantime, you should check out Beyond the Trope, a great podcast run by some pretty awesome people. 
Giles and Michelle have been putting out episodes regularly for over seven years. They have a lot of great guests, just like we do, and have a lot of fun, just like we do. I think you'll like them. Go check them out at beyondthetrope.com. You're still listening, aren't you? <laughs>